Bev's Video Kingdom is brought to you by the International Hyatt House, also known to you as the Riot House. Are you a rock star and need a place to stay while you're in L.A.? We've got a menu of names like Winnie the Pooh, Jack the Ripper, and George Washington that'll keep your stay just our little secret. Need to have a not-quite-legal rendezvous with one of your groupies? <coughs> uh, sorry, I mean band-aids? We've got roomy ice machine rooms with coat hooks right above the peep window so you won't get photographed during your sexual assault. Or maybe you're just a fan looking to rub elbows or other parts with famous rock stars. We'll scoop up a little of that vomit in the hallway. It's probably Keith Moon's or Robert Plant's. And it'll make a perfect keepsake back home in Kansas. The Riot House, where we just don't give a shit about anything. <laughs> oh, a little puke in the hallway. Scoop it up. That's a, that's a keepsake. I love it. To Bev's Video Kingdom, that was uh, that was well, really good, you guys. That's, that's what we do every time. I'm ready to every jam every time before get we get on. There just, on that stage, we just decided to do it in honor of Almost Famous for you. But that's 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 weekly. All right, so you are here with uh, you've entered the kingdom of Bev, and you're gonna we're gonna talk about a video this week. It is Almost Famous, mm-hmm. the one that we've all been waiting for, the one that you've all been waiting for. Um, and so this one's my pick. I'm, I'm Nate. Uh, and we've got Nick. Hello. Zach. Hey, I'm Zach. Here's Brad. That's me. I'm rubbing his, uh, I'm, rub- I'm rubbing his braid. He's got a, he's got sexy braids. <laughs> All right. So before, before we get into the movie, can we address that? I was made aware today that it is assumed pretty universally that our, we we do an all female podcast at Bev <laughs> Video Kingdom. <laughs> that's so great i like we picked the name just to give throw people off so yeah. they'd, they'd be like wait a minute when's bev show when does bev show up i like so I like speaking that. speaking of bev cool little anecdote so our namesake bev's video kingdom which was the video store in our small town my dad's going through some files today like who knows shit like when i won like the honor roll in sixth grade or something and he <laughs> he pulls out a houston chronicle and in the classifieds he sends me a picture of bev says bev's video kingdom biggest video selection in the area we're gonna post it on we'll all post the socials if you guys yeah, want to so, check so, it out but by the time you hear this it's probably gonna be on social so check it out it's cool so anyway we're bev's video kingdom we are talking almost famous, and at the end of part one today, we have special guest Lacey Johnson on, uh, and I'll t- we'll, t- we'll tell you a little more about why uh, why we we decided to invite Lacey on and how we came to know her. But for all of you that are rewatchables fans, uh, we kind of all all came to this by being rewatchables fans, and Lacey. It was an active and is an active poster on the Rewatchables Facebook page. Somewhat controversial, super interesting. And so we decided, let's have her on. Let's let's kick it around with her. So she's going to talk a little Almost Famous, talk a little Rewatchables Facebook page. That's later in the episode part one. 
And then part two, uh, which will be posted in a couple days, or maybe it's been posted weeks from now, depending on when you're listening for, for it. We're going to do fictional bands draft, uh, and we've got Flying Blind judging that one. So we got tons of good stuff tonight. All right, so let's get into it. A lot of action. So my pick was Almost Famous, and, and this one... It's funny watching a movie a whole bunch of times. One of the things that I, like hit me this time watching it was, and I've probably seen this movie, you know, 20, 30 times, maybe more, is how no matter how much you love a movie and how well you know the content, when eventually you watch it enough times and you watch it a different time in your life with a different mindset and you see different things in it. And I did this time, and I'm going to save a little bit of that. But, but I would say maybe more generally, I had a little harder time this time figuring out why I love the movie. Right. Like in some ways it's become more complicated. I'm somebody that loves a coming of age movie. Right. This is well, a well-known sort of genre for me. And I kind of always thought of this as like, you know, this is a William coming of age story. And in some ways, I think I saw that less this time. Um, Because you because you were focusing more on the Penny Lane storyline. So, yeah. So, yeah. So don't blow my don't. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, no. I, so, so I, 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 I had some conversations with Lacey ahead of this where like she kind of gave me some of this, her like female perspective, little hints at it. And I was like, huh. It's like, I'm going to watch this movie now. And I'm going to, I'm like, is this the Penny Lane story? Like, is this a story about Penny Lane? And some of the things I really love in movies, like, you know, my particular brand of emotional masochism is one, you know, like, and I'm not like into the dark, dark movies. I don't love to feel bad, but I, somehow I'm kind of like, I, 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 I'm drawn to those like unrequited love, like the pain of love that isn't returned in movies. And, and this one has that. And I, I always saw it with, with William. And this time I saw it in other, you know, from with the Penny character and I, I like felt it more in different ways, which is really cool. Um, so, so I love those things about it. I really love, um, I, I hate musicals, hate them. Well, this is, but I love movies with music in them, like right. where, where, where there's a musical act in them. So like, it's a weird thing. And, and this is like, for me, the, the pinnacle for that. I just, I love it around the music. I love all that. So I'm a huge Jason Lee fan. I'm a huge Billy Crudup fan, partly because of the movie. This one just, it's, it's a total home run for me. I love it. What do you guys think? So I, I hear exactly what you're saying is at this time when I've been watching this movie, the, the character that I'm actually been focused on lately when I've seen this movie is Francis McDormand, because as a parent, um, I have two children, 14 and 11. Uh, my son's getting to the age where he's going to be, I'm thinking now actively like, oh my God, he's going to be like maybe going off to college, like getting on with like real life and shit. And that stuff, I can completely feel the fact that she is uh, concerned about what her kids are going to do and, and what kind of people they're going to be and, and are they able to handle real life. And and that's my that's the part that really resonated with me this time around. I, I really just kind of had that fear and it's like. So I felt that a little when I rewatched The Wonder Years lately, recently with my kids. Like I so heavily identified with Kevin and like we you know it was all when about kid, Wendy right? when I was a kid and this time I was like you you were seriously <laughs> concerned about when we say infatuated <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that might be your first I like was, true it, love I was, yeah that might be um, and th- this time around I was like Kevin's a shithead Win- Winnie's kind of whatever but Norma oh boy Jack I get it man like <laughs> I was super cute and, and I was like and Jack like I'm like man the working dad yes so I totally feel you like that it's you see different things he's a hard ass but he's pretty reasonable throughout the entire thing he really is what do you got Nikki all right so like you Nate I'm at easily 30 times 40 times watching almost famous and I didn't dive in necessarily to characters um but went into it again 
that's a good thing about Bev's is we get to really just dive into why it is that we love certain movies and really it's okay to think deep on it and write notes on it. Any For anything else, it would be maybe weird, but now maybe that's how I'm going to always watch movies. I don't know. But immediately from the first credits, this um, I wasn't born in the 70s. I was born in 82. But whatever it is about the way that Cameron Crowe shoots this movie, the nostalgic way of it, the way it opens up the tactile nature where you're kind of, it's a person writing with pencil. And you that. see him make a mistake. He, he, he misspells Francis McDormand's name. Erases it, writes it. Francis McDormand's name. He misspells it, erases it, rewrites it, and well, they keep that. In and his, the sound and, effect, and the sound, like yeah. the, sound, the, the sound a pencil <laughs> makes on paper yes, is so yeah. unique. Exactly, and it's Cameron Crowe's hand writing it. But the music also, and it's it's like um, I don't know if it's it's like a unique sound, and it's like you're cutting through like, and it's got this energy, and it's like you're cutting through memories almost. It's like you're jumping from memory, 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 and it's. It's showing physical photos that you can, back in the day, remember physical photos that you could actually hold and look at and touch. Um, Keychains, like buttons. And I remember coming back from a, a, a Europe, like backpacking from around Europe. And I come back and I have a bag of like papers and like things from museums and just trinkets things like trinkets, yeah. right? That you reminded you of a place and a time. And, and that's, and I just really appreciate that opening scene. And then you jump in and you start to appreciate Cameron's and you know, at this point, you know, his background in music. He basically is wrote this. This was his love story of, of a, of a piece of work that he basically was his, one of his life's accomplishments, his story toured with, uh, Allman Brothers, I believe and Zeppelin. So his love of music, where he places music, the chill moments because of his placement of music. I actually getting ready for the pod today in I was bumping um, just that instrumental at the airport with him and Penny Lane. Oh, yeah. I found that. It's called Cabin in the Air by Nancy Wilson. It's just like acoustic guitar. It's just acoustic yeah. guitar. Yeah, it's it's like one of my favorite songs in the whole like movie, and it's placed twice. It's at it's after the San Diego show when he leaves. It, they Him and Penny have outside. They say goodbye to each other, and his mom's doing the, the family whistle, and he runs, <laughs> and that, that song plays it, and then it's playing in the airport. His his placement of music and use of, of popular music is uh, is just perfect. And uh, what's crazy, Nick? Those are both like those are opposite feeling scenes with that exact same music, right? So right. Mm-hmm. he's great, super great. happy. He just met Penny Lane. He's running to go see his mom. He just had the greatest night of his life, mm-hmm. and he's having the shittiest day of his life. He's in the airport. He just left all. of But them. there's hope. There's to me in that song. There's hope. So he's running. She touches her hand to the window, and he. You feel like there's something. Like this isn't gonna be the last time that they see each other. Yeah. Because of the music. How did he not run into a wall? Like super hard. Like Sapphire did? Yeah, like Sapphire. Exactly. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, they're going to do the same freaking thing again right uh, now? So that that's me. I, I just, I can't get enough of this movie. Maybe on Watch 50, I'll start diving into to characters. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's really all I notice about it. There's so many awesome characters. Yeah. yeah. Um, the the magazine the magazine editor guy Ben Fong Torres, <laughs> crazy. Um, crazy. Dwight <laughs> uh, Dwight smoking a Hunter S. Thompson uh, cigarette holder cigarette. Uh, just the the scene where where William is just obviously in love with Penny Lane while she's getting her stomach pumped in her worst moments, and he just the, 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 another Stevie moment where the music just totally oh, doesn't match. Yeah. You know, it's in a cool the coolest way the it's so great and uh, you know just you know russell's search for something real and uh, man i really love it there's so much so much good stuff we're gonna we're gonna get into all of it um 
I just want to like name scenes that I love. Let's do. It. I'm down. <laughs> Jason Lee talking about being a douchebag oh, while wearing so, his own so, yeah, T-shirt. So just throw them out, Roku. What, what do you guys got? Uh, if you had to pick a, your favorite scene in the whole movie, because I've got these down and I do not know how to choose if I have to pick. House party scene. Okay, so I have a, I have a. There's a stretch that starts at fifty thirty in the movie, and it goes for about eighteen minutes, and it starts with the argument in the in the uh, dressing room, and it goes. It's the it goes dressing room house party, the mom tells the class the rock stars kidnapped her son. William calls has a call with Lester. Penny pees in front of William, and then William gets deflowered, and then William's talking to Ben Fong Torres. That's the stretch. After the house party is this is Tiny Dancer too. Yep. After oh, house yeah, party, yeah, they yeah, pick yeah, up yeah, yeah, they yeah. pick him yes. up and yeah. they <laughs> right. And so like that stretch right there. I mean that's an eighteen minute section of a two hour film. Yeah. It's not one scene, but like it's pa- it's so tightly packed with scenes I love. Like I could watch that stretch over and over. The part where I get goosebumps though is is still the piggyback ride into Fever Dog, that yeah. first show. Yeah, and I mean just that that song hits. I mean that song is a I, I that song should have charted somewhere. Like it's a <laughs> legit song, and it comes in and just like the whole crowd out there going nuts, and just you you get that feeling of a rock band. You get to know what it's like to be kind of right there on stage with a rock band like and just controlling a crowd. And that's what they did, right? They played a a set, correct? Like didn't they play a set Making in people front of that yeah. crowd? Yeah, yeah, they yeah. do. Peter Frampton taught no. what's his name how to play guitar. Crud up. Crud up. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure they were doing Frampton, Cameron Crowe, Cameron Crow and his wife who was in like the Bangles or something. Oh no, she was in Heart, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And they Cameron wrote Crow's Fever Dog and all those songs. Lead lead singer of Heart. For me, the the scene the, the like if I'm if I'm sort of going back to my initial point about kind of that unrequited love and the pivot, I've always thought the scene between William and Penny in the woods, yeah. right? Like in some ways I, I watched the, the scene where they're in the hotel room and it like I like that less now than I did in some ways, but but because the scene in the woods, right, it's like William's so frustrated with the fact that like he he thinks he like she should be paying attention to him and she's so hurt and hurt completely by um you know by her own you know un, un, unreturned love in the same way is he is he mad because she's not into him or is he pissed because she's so into Russell I don't you I know mean, what I mean is, he's is, like this guy's such a douche he sold you for a case of beer and you're still, but is that I mean, super head over heels for that's that, guys that, that do that? Is there a difference? That's you know? the guys do that. The guys that that put women on a pe- uh, women on a pedestal and they feel like I would treat this woman so perfectly, and yet right. this guy's an asshole and he's getting the chick. That's I mean that's that's been around forever. So you're saying he's an incel? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that comes up in alternate ending. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So you also got the airplane. <laughs> All right, so let, let's get let's get after it here. So so we are going to sit down and and we're going to pour our drinks with Cameron Crow. So first thing I want to know, fellas, is what are you drinking? Uh, Nate, you're going to have to help me with the name of it. We got a uh, is it? Uh, so I think I think it, it's incorrectly labeled on the on the. Yeah, you're drinking. Uh, it's Blaker. You're drinking some Sierra Nevada. It's not Blaker, so okay. it's Sierra Nevada. It's hazy uh, little hazy thing. Little thing yeah. a little hazy little thing. That's what I'm drinking out of a. Uh, the uh, uh, Nathan's uh, a mislabeled keg, the taparoonie. Taparoonie. I uh, took a beer out of Brad's ice chest, <laughs> and uh, surprise, surprise, last call brewing. 
uh, <laughs> less stress, more West, West Coast IPA. Very delicious. So Thank someday you, we're going to have less. Didn't you say we got a brewer from Last Call that's going to jump on with us? Yeah, and I, w- I wanted to give a shout out because I, I went and bought uh, some beers tonight at Last Call. I'm drinking flip-flop tank top. This would be like the ultimate beer if you're out at a big music festival during the summer. It's hot. Like this is delicious summer drinking beer it's a it's a guava grolsch and uh yeah i'm gonna give a shout out to walter he's getting married in a couple weeks and uh walter makes great beer over at last call and yeah one of these days if we're talking about some drinking uh movies he's gonna definitely have to be a part of the pod cheers walter happy nuptials cheers, yeah. brother. all right yep. so i'm drinking me what did i settle on i think i said I settled on the old Forester, so I got a little bourbon here. I didn't even buy it with an ice cube, and I'm, I'm not I'm not necessarily regretting that decision. It's pretty from, tasty. From Roy Rogers to Old Forester <laughs> neat. I, this is this fits with my uh, with my general bourbon habit. So, but I went in the other direction. I, I was like rummaging around the kitchen earlier, and my wife was like, "Yeah, what are you doing?" And I'm like, "I'm looking for the grenadine." <laughs> Because I'm going to pour it in my soda. And she goes, do you think you can get away with a Roy Rogers two weeks in a row? And I was like, all right, you're right. And I grabbed the old Forrester. <laughs> would have been terrible. If it's not, yeah, I could have gone Shirley Temple, but no. Straight to the straight bourbon, no ice. All right. So. I can't decide if Roy Rogers is big dick energy. Is that, uh, <laughs> is that, is that BDE? I mean, should we, uh, that, I, I think we'll drinking, say, whatever you, we're drinking whatever the fuck you want to drink is, is big dick yeah. energy. We're going to check with Lacey on Aqua that Aqua Velva. Lacey's got opinions think, about big, big, yeah. big dick energy. All right. So we're drinking with the director and we want to, we want to ask Cameron Crowe some questions. So Cameron Crowe has a, a cool, kind of a cool range of, of films, right? And like, so Vanilla Sky, for example, is a really weird One of the best film. movies of all time. And that Vanilla Zach Sky. loves, Yeah. Um, and then he made some real like pieces of shit, like Aloha, which I was so psyched for. And it's one of the worst movies that's ever been made. Is that the movie like, with the greatest cast ever assembled? Yeah. And it's they... like unbelievably bad. So like he, he's, he's kind of all over the place, but this for me is his crowning, crowning sort of achievement. So what do you guys want to ask? What are you going to, what are you going to sort of drop on him first? I'm going to, I want to hear his stories about touring with the bands and what it was like. I mean, I'm going to jump from Almost Famous to his stories, and we can maybe end at Almost Famous, but I want to talk about touring with Zeppelin. Did we fully address that he actually did all this stuff? I mean, I I feel like that, I I know we addressed it, but like, that is so insane. Yeah, so it's semi-autobiographical. So so he he is a young Rolling Stone reporter around this age, like a teenager, and he first tours with the Allman Brothers. Um, And Greg Allman distrusts, distrusts him. And keeps asking if he was a narc, right? So this is kind of the enemy <laughs> thing. Um, and he was in a near fatal uh, plane crash while traveling with the Who. And so, and then apparently the character Russell Hammond sort of loosely based on um, Allman, Glenn no, Fry, Van Glenn Fry from the Eagles. The Eagles. Oh, so, so yeah, so he jumps around to some of these different bands in this. But era. wait, he did. He was with Zeppelin because he almost named this movie. In homage to Zeppelin, yeah. So yeah, at some yes. point he's with okay. Zeppelin, yeah. Right. So so there he 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 this this I mean you know who knows how much of these actual like little anecdotes right are true, but it's certainly uh, it's certainly roughly autobiographical, which is really cool. Yeah, I'd want to know which I'd want to know what was true and what what really. Can happened. you imagine? I mean, how is he not the coolest kid ever? Like, or the coolest person ever? Like, that's so insane to me. I mean, dude went on to make some great movies, and yeah. it's probably a multimillionaire <laughs> at this point. Married so. one of the Bengals, so yeah. not the Cincinnati kind. Though. No, the band Heart. Heart. Oh, it wasn't one of I the said, Bengals. I no. said Bengals <laughs> earlier incorrectly. Heart. <laughs> Thanks for screwing Nancy that. Up. <laughs> All right, uh, so I, I so I want to this I want to come back with, with him. I want to ask him what he thought this movie was about. 
so like you know what's what's this what's the what's the because i like i said you know i sort of like in some ways i see, see this as like you know a little bit of a piece of abstract art like you you might see a little bit of what you want to see in it there's a lot of different elements of it right so like even even if you wanted to look at it as somebody who you know I mean, the band struggling with, you know, themselves internally, right? There's some interesting dynamics there. Um, and the, obviously, you know, there's sort of the love story, but there's also, you know, the, the parent dynamic. So there's a bunch of stuff that, you know, there, there's a, some really interesting and cool stuff with him he and his sister, right? And like that comes around at really important times in the film. So I kind of wonder, you know, like if Cameron Crowe wants to sort of put it in a nutshell, what do you think he says? What do you think it's about? I think it, he he wrote it right, so it's it's about William. Yeah, it's it's this it's from the perspective of him. He's the main character, and actually, kind of talking about Penny, like maybe we'd I, I may I'd be curious. I would bring up a conversation. Was there a girl? You know, is there a girl out there that kind of got away? Yeah, in his experience, the inspiration yeah. for Penny Lane, right? Yeah. Well, speaking of speaking of Penny Lane, you you we we talked a little bit about it off the air, and and on the Go podcast. You were saying earlier, who who was who all was was considered for Penny Lane? So the name again, Brad. Sarah Polly was the the one. Who, she was she, she was, was like she was she the was, one she was until she basically said, "No, I'm going to go make this own no, my no. own movie." So you're saying she was cast? Oh, she was there. She, she was wasn't it. just up for the role. That was That's who he wanted. So That's who he wanted. Yes. And she pulled out. And what I what we were talking about before is I can't picture her playing Penny Lane. I can't picture her doing the in the woods scene with uh you know when she says what beer you know and did, almost did like, i get traded for like with the tear and how crushed she is yeah. multiple scenes the little things that kate hudson does i can't picture sarah Polly doing at all or, or doing well uh, to be harsh and entirely nothing to do with with her look or or appearance either no, but not at all. her her i guess i only have the point of reference of her and go she's stone and cold she is not the manic pixie dream girl that uh that kate hudson is in this movie uh just as far as the the attitude and i just i just could i just cannot picture it and i can't imagine i mean this movie didn't do great at the box office anyways it just makes me think man this would have this would have been bad just where it wouldn't have aged it would have wasted not have aged amazing movie well Well, the craziest the casting thing that i saw that i had not realized until just this last watch through was that brad pitt was up for russell hammond yeah and then after being there, like going with Cam and Crow and like talking about it for a while, he just says, "Yeah, I just I I can't get into this character. Like I I don't understand." This. That's your just looks weird. are get, getting to be a problem. <laughs> I, <know. laughs> I laughed out loud watching Dude, that again. Such a good. Oh. <laughs> they kind of look at each other like, "What the?" Fuck? I mean, this, this is a funny one in terms of it be, being quotable too, because you know we don't you don't in some ways like it's a sneaky one that way because you don't think of the quotability of it. But and we talked about Major League, you know, being super quotable, and it is. But this one, I have a few things I say a whole bunch. I mean, I am a golden god. I mean, I just say that a lot, you know. Like I, I, I no joke. When I was in grad school, I used to get like a little bit of writer's block, and I would just write, "I am a golden god" over and over again until I started writing. That's such an insight into you, Nate. I'm <laughs> I, that's good to know. All work and no play makes a dull boy. <laughs> Uh, but, but but like you know, 
the the you'll, you'll you'll meet them again all again on their journey their long journey to the middle. Oh, then you got Phil Seymour Hoffman, oh, who's dude. just like makes you, just makes you miss him like so much watching him in this character. He's yeah, fire, hundred percent, hundred percent miss that dude. Oh. What does he say? Jim Morrison's a drunk pretending drunk to be a buffoon. The guess, give me the guess who they got the courage to be drunk and buffoon. What makes them poetic? The best is what are you listening to? Still water. He's doing drugs. He's doing drugs. <laughs> I laughed so hard at that this time. Uh, and then there's a great quote that that we kind of referenced earlier. You know, you know what I do? I get people off. I look for the one guy that isn't getting off, and I make, make him get I, off. I, that you can print. <laughs> and he points right at William. Oh, man. Jason Lee has so dude, many amazing lines fire, in dude. almost everything he does, but in this especially, yeah, he's that, great. Like how great? I mean, we're talking about a professional skateboarder, right? Who kind of yeah. backdoored his way into like mall rats yep. and that Kevin team, stuff, yeah. Kevin Smith, and like. And to be fair, as much as we all love mall rats, and we, I think we all universally love mall rats. Yeah, I like. I he's not great, and I mean, he's no. he's well, quotable, but he is not a good actor. But in he mall fits rats, the and movie. He's really, but he good he, he in comes this. across real though. I think that's what that like. Both Jay and and Jason Lee, nobody's going to say either of them are are um, like great actors, but at the same time, they no. come across real, and you can be like, like I know actor. a dude like that that yeah. I, he reminds me of. He's I not think trying that's... to act for an Oscar in Mallrats. Yeah. He's just himself as a skater. And, and, and I mean, in fairness, right? Like Jason Lee parlayed this into a like significant. I mean, he had a he had, my name is Earl, and dude, he's on for a Earl, long yeah. time. And he he he, he found the right roles for for what he did, and he was good and funny in in those. I, mean, I just I, think his his mannerisms and his look in this movie is so perfect. Yeah. It's just because it's perfect. not it, in this one, right? It's not exactly a dramatic, but it's but it's not just a sort of like standard Kevin Smith type role, right? He he has enough seriousness in this movie and enough of a different look that it makes me feel like I want to see Jason Lee in more of these roles. Mm-hmm. You know, like I, I wish I could see. I wish he would sort of make some some more of these choices. Which is Vanilla Sky. Basically, he parlayed it. Vanilla Sky yep. is right after with this. with Crow with, yeah. with Cruz and Crow, but in a movie full of really great acting performances, I mean Philip Seymour Hoffman is phenomenal. Francis so, McDormand is phenomenal. So so McDormand, I don't know if you guys know, nominated for an Academy Award for Best Supporting Actress yeah. along with uh, Penny Lane. Yeah, yep. so, I did not realize. Yeah, that. and, and, Kate and Hudson I, what, was what I was going to say, I think you know, Kate Hudson, she's seventeen or eighteen when this is filmed, and she's great. And I was just going to say, and if she's the she's the best, I mean, to me, she makes the whatever you think of what the story is about. It's every scene she's in, you just are, and and, and you said it earlier, right? It's not even about the look. You know, she's she's obviously a beautiful woman. But like in some ways, you're lost in her character completely, yeah. and it's not you're you're drawn to her in a way that like it's just a she is Penny Lane. She is she Penny is Lane. Penny Lane. You like can that's... if you never think of her as Kate Hudson, going back and watching it based on the roles that she's done since, and she's good in other things. But this is just un- unreal, which is weird because I see Sapphire, I'm like that's Feruza Balk. Like I, I yeah, I, I know her in other movies. Anna but, Paquin. Yeah, yeah, you you, yeah. you know them that's from other okay. things, but Kate Hudson just to me is. She's Penny Lane. That's that's her role, and that's who she is. Yeah. All right. Well, she guys want to ask Crow. <laughs> I have a couple of just silly things. Um, one, no love for Pink Floyd. Uh, Pink Floyd was a, a, a huge band at this time, and they, uh, Dark Side of the Moon comes out in 1973, so it's it's right in that that time period. And there's no Dark Side of the Moon. I mean, drugs, things like that. I mean, that should have been. I think that could have been a part. I just wonder why he didn't have any love for Pink Floyd. And the second is, did he really love the movie Airplane? Because 
in airplane there's that scene where the woman like keeps knocking over the towers as she's running next to the plane <laughs> saying bye to like her yeah. husband and then you have you have sapphire who does the whole thing where she runs in talking to the bus she runs in the little post and then of course you have uh william running down in the airport I was like, he did that twice in the same movie, like the the whole running next to a vehicle. Yeah. Did he really like the movie Airplane? Or like, <laughs> what's his deal? I got to find that out. I think they're both effective scenes, though. You know what I mean? It's just like. Well, and you mentioned Sapphire, and I actually remember, I, I, I actually appreciated the phone conversation between her and William's mother. Oh, yeah. That's a good one. Yeah. I, I love that conversation. And she's like legit, and that's like a legit real thing for her to just come out of her shell. Like shows like. How caring she is, actually, after all of like the stuff that she puts on, like yeah. in that moment, which she probably hasn't sold, said to her own mom. All she, of the women are protect, so good to to William the entire movie. She's trying to protect yeah. William, yeah. and she's legit. Like realize she like messed up, and then she ends it. This is <laughs> this the made by the way. <laughs> made by the way. <laughs> but but she gives props to Frances McDermott. She, yeah. I mean, she gives her all sorts yeah. of props. Like you, you raised, raised a really right. good guy. Like, I mean that's as a parent, that's the one thing you want to hear from people. Is like yeah. you know well, what you raised your kid right. Well, yeah. and they do they do. A, I mean, Crow does a consistently good job of like taking those little conversations with with Frances McDormand and making them run into the next scene in a very fun way that doesn't like overdo it so you know he, he we don't even hear the conversation but he shows up at the hotel and he's like Are you william <laughs> talk to your mom <laughs> she really freaked she me really out freaked <laughs> and then russell you know has the whole conversation and then you go to the next scene where he's in the huddle and he's like just looks shell-shocked and he's like uh, totally out of it and he's like hey, mom really oh, freaked really me out <laughs> Just she's so she's an intense woman. I like that. Oh, she's very it. she's very funny and and also moving and at in certain parts too. I can see why she got nominated. I just I didn't know that. It's crazy. Her little she, breakdown at the uh, when she's teaching class yeah. too, like rock stars kidnap my, my son. <laughs> <laughs> she's also kind of a weird character in the sense that like she's on you on the one hand you think of her as like being the like craziest hippie in some ways, but she's also super anti rock and roll like she's almost right. like too too like far out she's like both people. sides of the far out yeah, yeah, she's like this awesome. super yeah. religious but also really a super hippie yeah exactly yeah. dude it, it, it's she's a fun character and, and, and although i mean her her parenting is is questionable <laughs> i mean i mean what's her name it can't listen to simon and garfunkel and uh, <laughs> she sends her son off to a black sabbath concert and drops him off and then uh, he gets to go across the country with a rock band i mean aren't we all a little arbitrary in our parenting decisions at times uh, i mean maybe not that arbitrary well especially because he didn't take like the religious it wasn't because it was like a religious thing it wasn't like oh it's it's a god thing or anything like that it was no. just like she just kind of had her drugs are bad but yeah. But Simon and Garfunkel are going to make you go to hell? Is that, <laughs> I mean, that's literally what she says, right? <laughs> she, my, one of my favorite lines of the whole movie from her so, is, is she says, you've robbed him of his adolescence. And she just straight face, <laughs> adolescence is a marketing tool. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, so it's, is it religious? I don't no. think she says you're going to no. go to hell. No, it's, it's no. just going to be. What does she say I about think, Simon and Garfunkel? I mean, it might even be like She says they're on pot. Yeah, yeah, she does. Look, look, look at them. She they're, on they're on And she points to their eyes. Their <laughs> I, I will say this, that we, we mentioned Linklater earlier, and Linklater, of course, had Days and Confused, uh, and then you have Cameron Crowe with Almost Famous. Almost Famous takes place, 73 is kind of the, the approximation, and if you go back from today, 27 years... We'd be in the the long gone days of 1994. It's like directors in those in the 90s were so lucky to be able to go back to that generation because going back from right now to oh, yeah. to 94 is right. it's not the same, is it? 
I, right. I mean, I, I feel like there's a real need for movies about the 90s. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. I mean, I might know a guy that has a script. Brad and I might have a, a, a script for all those years. <laughs> are we going to bring that up right now? Are we going to talk about the script? That I don't we're think gonna we are going to do a live read on the on the pod? That we, might happen one We day. might have that. We might do that someday. We might yeah. need to audition. Our, our, our biggest fans, we're going to send out the script to our biggest fans. Nate yeah. and Brad at some point 10 years ago? <laughs> it's not that long ago. I really, we started ago? writing it on my on I think my about 2016, 2015. Say it's not too long. It was before. late. It oh was my late god! It wasn't that long ago at all. Our last, December our last like big edit was like 2017. I think is when we did our last. We wrote the first final. lines of it in December 2014. We yeah. need to have a reading. They wrote a coming <laughs> of age, a, a coming of age comedy, uh, high that, school comedy, that's been 90s shopped. teen comedy, shopped around. So if you make movies. <laughs> You just get you just send Bev's video of Kingdom a little uh, at BBK Pod. <laughs> I mean, uh, I, ju- I did just get the uh, the the iPhone 13 Pro, so we could probably just shoot it on this. <laughs> I mean, have you seen the commercial? They're making fucking movies on this shit. So All let's right. do it. So Cameron Crow, I, I think we're gonna excuse you, uh, and we are gonna move on to snag, shag, and body bag. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This episode of Bev's Video Kingdom is brought to you by Privacy Airlines. Looking to avoid the long lines and security at the airport? Fly Privacy. Looking to have just your close friends and family in a secure place so you can make a safe, direct flight to your destination? Fly Privacy. Looking to find out if your brother is banging the shit out of your wife every day just moments after you leave for work? Fly Privacy. On Privacy Airlines, you'll fly in the comfort of our spacious cabins where you can eat, drink, and chat, knowing you're in the hands of our professional crew. And once we arrive at 30,000 feet, we'll be sure to send the plane into a terrifying descent that will have all of your fellow passengers screaming for their lives. Any dark secrets they are hiding will quickly come to the surface during their mortal panic while you are safe and sound knowing that Privacy Airlines is just doing their job. Our pilots are guaranteed to make everyone feel like they're about to die. So you can find out all about how Grandpa had sex with his dog and Aunt Millie used to put X-Lax in Uncle Walt's coffee every morning. And when every last dark detail of your family and friends' lives has been blubbered out, we'll gently return the plane to its proper altitude and you can enjoy the rest of the flight in perfect silence. Upon arrival, Privacy Airlines will have a team of lawyers ready to help you navigate all of the nightmarish things you've learned about and will most certainly help you set up divorce proceedings immediately so you can forget about that cheating whore and your piece of shit brother. Privacy Airlines, your secrets are safe with us and everyone else on the flight. All right, so for shags, what do we got for shags? How do we even define this? We, this shag and wagon. The shag and wagon. <laughs> how do you how do you think about your shag, Nick? And what are you shagging? All right, so I'm uh, I'm shagging singing in a car on a road trip, right? Oh, like yeah. who oh, does like it? The I mean, it's been scene? a long ass time since I've been on a good road trip and and sang like they sung. And on that bus, I don't know like, if I've ever done I, that, but I want, I, I want to do it. So oh, I have. I got a reason why that doesn't happen anymore. 
Why? There's too many fucking songs. Back in the <laughs> 70s, you're going to say, back in the 70s, everybody five songs. Every person knew every song because they they were on the radio or, you know, whatever well, the CD. big records were. Everybody had those records. You put in a CD. Even in the 90s, everybody knew the same songs. But now, there's just too many songs. You go on Spotify, you can listen to any song in the entire world whenever everybody you just want. Fucking watch Walter Cronkite and then listen to, you know, the good the old Sweet days, Home Alabama man. and the shit was good. And everybody knew the words Sweet Home Alabama and you could go on a road trip and you could sing along. All right, well, on my next road trip with you guys, I'm going to circulate a list of songs that are the only ones and you can And just say, "Hey, everybody needs to every- learn these and then we'll gang vocal them." <laughs> it'll, be, it'll be like an Irish pub. <laughs> so apparently in Ireland, this is why I want to go to Ireland. Did you know this? In Ireland, Apparently, there's like a like basically an unsaid list of pub songs that you got to know, and then awesome. people just show up with their instruments, and you got to know all these songs, and it's just kind of like random banding. And I'm like, fucking hey, dude, I want to go do that. Doesn't that sound amazing? Irish? It does. That's the whole. That's the only reason I want to go to Ireland, dude. Jess, uh, one of our judges last week, they've had one of the best St. Patty's parties that I've gone to for for many, many, many years, and and we get they pass out the little they circulated a book, list of lyrics. Oh, and we gosh. all sing fucking Irish Drunk songs, and, Irish and they have drunk. whiskey in a jar. Oh yeah, it's beautiful. Okay, I. I I definitely can. We could, could. Do you think we could just like drive to Bakersfield and back, and just just so we can sing and shit? I'd rather just drive around your yard <laughs> or go like in the driveway back and just forth drive and drive back back up and down we'll the orchards of trees. We'll just all get hammered and drive around the ranch trying not to hit trees while we sit. Well, we'll we drive, we'll drive your here. farm truck because then we don't care if we, if we can hit a couple trees in the farm truck, right? We're two hours oh, yeah. from some of the Maybe most amazing places wife. in the world, and Nate suggests we drive to fucking Bakersfield. <laughs> Bakersfield Beautiful. is the home of, you know, oaky country music. <laughs> All right. That is true. I guess we wouldn't want to get out of the Buck car. Owens, so that's, Crystal Palace is in Bakersfield, yeah. son. We'd go to Bakersfield <laughs> so that we wouldn't have to get out, so our sing-along would never end. We'd just that's, turn around. Now you're with and me. And come all the way back. N- now you're with me. Brad, what do you got? Um, my, You know what? We started off the podcast this way, man. And the, the pre-concert pump-up, like, it, it, of course, oh. it has that elements of, like, sports and, like, getting ready for any kind of big event. Like, the fact that you get together with your boys and, and you're just like, let's go, let's go. You got something that you do that just to get pumped up. Man, like Drew Brees, you know what I mean? What he does, what he did, yeah. It was all of a sudden you'd see him in the pile of all and these guys, like year nuts. after year. All of a sudden you see Drew Brees doing his thing, and they're all fired up. Oh yeah, all right. Yeah. You know the the greatest movie for that for for musical acts warming up and getting ready to go on stage is uh, is the acapella movie that we were just talking about. Oh, the Barton Bellas. Yes. Oh, it's <laughs> they've got some they've got some great pump ups that they get uh, before they go on stage. Yeah, I love it. Uh, all right, Zachy. So my shag is going to be. A lot of things, but kind of summed up in the opening credits of the movie. It kind of it kind of goes along with something Nick was saying earlier about tangible media. When he gets those records and he's looking through them and he's got the booklets yeah. and he can put the records on, listen to the yeah, it's tactile. You know yeah. what I mean? Just he like, like Nick touches and runs his like finger oh, across yeah. the cover of it. Yeah, I love that. My wife says you must really be liking this right now, and I was like, what? And she's like, oh, he's looking at all those records because I'm a big <laughs> well, big record guy. I mean, we've talked about this with in the context of movies, right? I mean, Bev's Video Kingdom itself is the reference to the old days of physical movies, and I, I mean, I, I, I don't want to be overly sentimental here, but I genuinely miss going to the video store. And we, you know, Zach was talking about, you know, the last pod. He was talking about the fact that he would go and he'd pick out way more movies than than he could actually get. I remember <laughs> going to the video store, and I would literally like it was like my process was to stack up right. like ten movies. As like, you know, and then I would, you know, sort through the way process you, I of you, elimination. I guess you know? the way you wouldn't in like a Netflix queue now, but it, there's something about physically holding it that is just different, you know, like going to a place and holding it, going to the record store. You just don't do that now. And I think that's a lost thing. I don't know. 
Man, the, I just sound fucking old now. The, the, the only similar <laughs> feeling is is when you want to watch a movie and you're like, oh, is this streaming right now? And then you find out, shit, I got to pay for it. Like That's the same thing <laughs> that you get at the video store when you're <laughs> like, the same? You, see, you see the box there and you're like, oh, yeah, I'm going to get it. And then there's no actual like tapes behind it. You're like, fuck, I'm not going to get this movie now. Or I got to go buy it. <laughs> go buy it. <laughs> like anybody buys any media. Uh, All right. Well, I'm going to shag um, Philip Seymour Hoffman. Like I just, that's I, I love every minute, every second he's in it is so good. And and like, you know, Nick, Nick said earlier, I just, it makes me miss him. I mean, that, that it makes me miss really, the seriously. things that he was in and the things he wasn't in. Uh, that we would have loved because he—he's just—I mean—he—he's fire in every single bit scene of it. He's fun and he represents like. I guess what I like about it so much is that like he's a voice, and this get, kind of gets back to my question for Cameron Crowe about all the things this movie's about. Like he's a voice that talks about a transition in the time of music. That almost makes a reference to what you're talking about, right? Like he sort of sees this beautiful era of music and rock and roll that he says is already dying, right? Well, fast forward to now, right? And you might, you know, take your comments to be that that some version of that is dead. Um, and I think Philip Seymour Hoffman's perspective in this beyond being funny is just a cool uh, angle on the on the movie that we don't get, you know, from a lot of other characters. So he's, that's he's the perfect just like hipster guy. So so awesome. Uh, is it so? I, I correct me if I'm wrong here. And if you guys don't know this, it's going to be another great pod moment. But have you seen the preview for Licorice Pizza, the new movie? Oh, yeah. Is it his son that is the the main actor, or am I just completely off base? I don't know. Is, there a, is it a Hoffman? I'm pretty sure his oh. son is debuting as an actor in Licorice Pizza. Hmm. I don't know. I don't PTA, know. PTA, right? I think I'm... Get it on All right, well, somebody, somebody, somebody do the Google. Why I'm going to look at... I'm going to Google it. Do a little Googan while uh, Brad tells yeah. us what he's going to shag, what he's going to snag. My, my snag is is roadies, and uh, I mean, I'll preface that by saying my, my dad was in a, in a rock and roll band, my brother in a rock and roll band, and the roadies, they, they don't focus much on the movie of the roadies. I mean, you get a little bit behind the scenes, but... Man, the roadies make those bands work. Like I, I got much respect for roadies who go out there and they set up all the shit up. They get it all ready. They tear it all down. Tune all the instruments. Oh yeah, I mean the the unsung heroes of every rock band. So uh, I got to give my shout out to the roadies that those guys are working hard. And even even my brother's band. I mean they got their roadies. They still have a couple guys that are super loyal and 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 get all their shit going. So. Remember the time that we pretended to be roadies so that we could get into Charlie's and watch them. Well, yeah, that's just because we didn't have IDs. <laughs> <laughs> we were 17 going into a, a barely carry their bar. speakers in. That was awesome. So, breaking news update: I was correct on all all accounts. Oh boy, Cooper Hoffman is going to star in this movie, uh, Licorice Pizza, and it is directed by Tal Paul Thomas Anderson, and oh, is uh, coming out shortly, uh, November 26, 2021. It looked kind of cool. Yeah, it looks very cool and uh i didn't realize it was his kid until we just talked about it so that's exciting it's it's a good time to be the uh the son of a a, a legend because oh, you got sopranos guy yeah. you got yeah you've got gandolfini's son is oh, is wow. playing in the new sopranos movie and then uh my kids have been watching uh the uh, uh the shield agents of shield on uh, on abc and they got to uh bill paxton's son playing a younger version of him because Bill Paxton's in the show. And uh, they're like, they're like, oh my gosh, that guy does a really good job of like acting like Bill Paxton. And then they look it up and it was Bill Paxton's son <laughs> playing him as a younger person. And Ice Cube's son? 
Killing it. Yeah. All yeah. I, Shay Jackson's kid. All yeah. I got from that story is that your kids know who Bill Paxton is. <laughs> <laughs> Just trying to make it up because, you know, we might have p- pissed off some Bill Paxton fans back in the day. It's so Bill and we, we got to make it up to him. <laughs> All hey, right. Bill. Yes. Nick, what, you, what, you, what are you uh, snagging? I'm, I'm snagging Cameron Crowe forever. Yeah. Um, he made Nate and one of my favorite movies and will always, always will be. Um, for a long time, it was, you know, something like it, it was Forrest Gump. I mean, it was funny. I mean, it was a feel good movie. It was like an epic, you know, but this talking about Vanilla Sky. Huh? I yeah. Thought I thought you were talking about Vanilla no, Sky. No, that's your For, favorite. Forrest Gump was, was your go to before. Uh, a long, I mean, famous? we're talking like. I saw that I don't know, twice in the movie theater. 15 years ago, I'd probably say like it was up there, but then almost famous. It will always be almost famous. And then. I mean, I love Vanilla Sky. I'm, I'm actually with you there, Zach. I think you know that we have that in common. I do know that. Forrest Gump's uh, got a hell of a soundtrack, of course. So, but then Almost Famous had whatever Forrest Gump and all the movie like that was missing. The music is kind of where Cameron Crowe just always, he just always knows how to hit it. And that's also the same in Jerry Maguire. I love Jerry Maguire. Yeah. Jerry Maguire is up there also. And uh, just taking those two movies mixed with, you know, I know like the Aloha, you know, Crash and Burn. <laughs> But um, I just can't wait to see what he, if he decides to come out and bring something out, you know, releases on Netflix, something like all these other kind of great directors are maybe doing. I just, I can't wait to see what he does. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm all in on it. I mean, he, anything I, I'm there day does. one if he right. does anything. So I, right. I, I can't so it's, disagree. It's Cameron Crowe for me. So for me, it's got to be, it's got to be Penny Lane. I mean, Kate Hudson's Penny Lane is you know, totally transcendent. It always has been. And I think I'm finding that the more I watch it, the more I key in on on her character, her acting, the storyline yeah. with her, and then so so I, I I'm I'm snagging that. All She's day. the cover, dude. So She's the, cover. the cover. So I'm pitching right now. Ten episode Netflix series backstory for penny lane ooh, kind of couple episodes oh. leading up to and then some stuff where she's a, a band-aid like beforehand then it skips over almost famous and then you find out what happened to her afterwards oh in morocco in morocco oh, there it is zach it. that's that's i think i'd watch, I'd watch I would, the shit out of it. and I would watch the that season finale hard. ends with william showing back who plays young penny lane oh I don't know. I, if, I don't know any. Young, I don't know young any young adolescent uh, blonde curly actors. Hey, I was gonna say Hillary Duff or something, but she's like <laughs> she's thirty-seven like years she's old, years five years older. <laughs> really quick, I want to give a shout out. What before we keep moving on? And you guys, did you guys listen to another podcast that has features um, called Origins with uh, James Andrew Miller? Did you guys ever listen to that series on they, Almost Famous? They did like a, multiple episodes. It was like a six-part series oh, I remember on the making of Almost Famous. Did, I never did listen to it. You told us to. And when this an, comes out, it'll be the second best account of Almost Famous. Second time. best, <laughs> but an unbelievable account and behind the scenes, six parts. Every episode is like is like over an hour to two hours. Bunch of cast members. Bunch and, of cast yeah. members. They're talking to Kate oh, Hudson. Yeah. They're right. they're talking to Cameron Crowe, you know, in multiple conversations. So right. Origins of James Andrew Miller. Anyways, it's a great listen. I'm going to listen to that tomorrow on the way to the lake. It, it sounds like they copied our drinking with the director segment and actually got the director to <laughs> 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 They ripped us off by, by actually by doing it. Oh, my God. All right, Zach, what are you snagging? 
So I should have gone after Nick because I'm snagging Cameron Crowe. And uh, we already talked about all the things that I was going to talk about with Cameron Crowe. I just think that the, uh, you know, the true story or the or the based on your own life and you have something as cool as being a 15-year-old kid that gets to go on tour with your favorite bands, it's, I don't think it gets much cooler than that. So that's what I'm, that's what I'm snagging. Anybody got body bags? Yeah, mine's very simple. There's one part of this movie that takes me out of it and it bothers the shit out of me. Not that I don't, I don't like, dislike the guy. Was it I the just, raping? No, Jimmy oh, Fallon. Oh, Jimmy Fallon. Oh, what? Jimmy out Fallon of it, really? showing up. I just, ah, I, 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 it I, bothers me a lot. I do not like movie. Jimmy Fallon, so I'll just jump right in on that. There you go. I don't mind Jimmy. Was he Jimmi Fallon when he did that that role? Yeah. Yeah. Still it, was I mean, but no, that's not what I mean. Was he, he like the he, late night guy? He was on SNL, guy? I think. Oh, he was, was on coming SNL. out of yeah. SNL or coming... Starting to get out of it. Jimmy Fallon, I mean, I... Because by 2004, yeah. he's doing Fever Pitch, and so this is oh, 2000. Oh, Another amazing film. <laughs> you guys are giving me heartburn, dude. All right, what, what are you guys going to body bag? So, uh, I'm going to body bag... Um, uh, we just talked about I'm, it. I'm... Like, the... the, the the magazine, the magazine guy. I can't remember his name. The three Philip Seymour Hoffman. I'm gonna mag. Yes, thank you. You're gonna magazine him. I'm gonna body bag <laughs> Philip Seymour Hoffman. Are you kidding? He is so amazing in this movie, and I read that he only got to show up for four days of filming because he was super sick. I mean, probably coming down off heroin or something crazy, but. He was super sick the entire filming of this, and he could only film for four days, and they had to, like, reduce the amount of stuff, and they, he only has whatever's going. I think he may have been a bigger character, uh. which I'm all for because I love him. In so you're body bagging the fact that he was sick and didn't get to be yep. the bigger part. Yeah, I wish he would have had more heroin so he would have been well. <laughs> I'm just I was going to say, it's kind, of, it's kind of cold to put Philip Seymour Hoffman in the body bag. <laughs> Why do... <laughs> Why is, I'm like we're like rarely critical of actors, and all of them are dead. The ones that we decide to talk shit about. All right, we're not talking shit about. No, I don't think anyone's talking. You were shit. you were just giving them props, right? Just kick you out. Yeah, Sage. No. All right, all right. Body bag. Mine was just going to be that I'm shit bummed out that Philip Seymour Hoffman, Hoffman's gone because that I mean that was that your body bag? That's the same it, body was, bag. Yeah. It's just that Zach said it in a weird way. <laughs> just not that mine's any less weird. I'm gonna body bag that he's <laughs> gonna he's body passed. bag that he's fast. That's God. Nick, that's I, kind I, of insensitive. You knew he's dead, right? You're talking about putting him in a body bag. <laughs> Fuck, dude. Jesus. All right, we, we just I think we just got our show canceled before. We, how much have we made so far? Thirty five cents. <laughs> Do we, well, are we up no, to hey, hey, let's talk about Cameo, because Cameo still loves <laughs> let's us. Let's look at Cameo. All right, well, hey. on to Cameo, then. You, you guys know that uh, one of our uh, future sponsors, they haven't called yet, but they are going to, is Cameo, where you can go and pay uh, an undetermined amount of money for your favorite person to say uh, shit that you make them say. So, Brad, who's on Cameo? Man, I searched long and hard to find folks that were in this movie that are on Cameo, and that shit did not turn out. So there's one person that I got to finally that is on Cameo, and it blew my fucking mind because you might wonder, it's, how much is, do you is need? It, is it Philip Seymour Hoffman? No. <laughs> oh, yeah, we just blew this thing up. <laughs> just pack up the equipment. Let's just cameo. It, it was only fifteen dollars. <laughs> cameo, was, we, was crazy. Ouija board edition. Oh, and you asked uh, it didn't blow my mind that he was on there. It was the you fact that he was fifteen bucks. Was oh Jesus! All right. So uh, no, of all the people in, in in almost famous Red Dog, the roadie. Hey brother, he is on cameo. But that's not the that's not what blew my mind. 
How much are we talking? It's not even the money that's blew my mind. Did you guys know who Red Dog is? No. Uh, I re- uh, It's motherfucking Scott Farkas from A Christmas Story. Oh, oh shit. Oh, my God. Is Red Dog. Wait, the bad guy? The guy that he beats up? Oh, yeah. What? <laughs> the bully Farkas. from Christmas Story is Red Dog oh, and almost famous. Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And then he gets his ass beat. Oh, The guy that's wow. like, hey, brother. That guy? Yes. That, oh yeah. I want to go back and watch the whole movie now just because I know that again right now. <laughs> That's what I said. It blew my mind. I was like, oh, my God. Scott Farkas was Red Dog? I thought that dude was like 60 or something. Well, he is redheaded in, in the movie, right? Yeah. So, so oh how much do you have to pay for him to like, you know? Well, I'm saying so. So definitely he, he promotes Scott Farkas a little bit more than he promotes that in fact that he was Red, Red Dog. $35. I say, I say we're going for... Zach's the winner there. Are you kidding me? $64. That's expensive. $64 to get. I think I've found my calling, and that's trying to guess cameo (laughs) prices. I always get them close. Zach's 6 and 0 at that. (laughs) We're going to go in on on that for Nate, and then we're just going to have him say, Cry, kid. (laughs) Cry, (laughs) baby. It'd be such a good Christmas present. I would just play it on a loop on my TV for, for, for we'd have uh, Christmas carols playing and then hit that guy just fucking just taunting me. Hey, only, so cameo, hit us up. Come the, on. The only other thing from that scene that I love is that they're like, We invented a game of poker that you can play in any condition. And they're <laughs> just holding the cards against their head. All right. Streaming recommendations. Hopefully they're free if you have the normal services, but we we often make you pay for things. We apologize in advance. Who's got streaming recommendations? I'll go first. So I've said it 42 times, and I'll say it again, and I'll scream it from the rooftops. Vanilla Sky, Cameron Crowe's Magnum Opus. Can I watch it for HBO free? Max. Oh, HBO Max? Yeah. So I haven't seen – I've only seen that movie once, I admit. You need to watch it a second. Should so, I watch it again? It freaked me the fuck out. It's really good. It's but it's scary. I mean, it's like a it, little it's, cre- it's a little creepy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's definitely some dark moments. Uh, you know, Tom Cruise goes goes uh, in through the in through the mouth, goes to the ringer. But uh, my other one, and this is not the same time period. It just gives me the same feels, and that is Freaks and Geeks, the series Freaks and Geeks on Hulu. And if you guys haven't watched that, that's your homework. I see that. That makes sense. I I do have a streaming recommendation. Uh- <laughs> is it on Stars? No. It's- <laughs> I wrote here right next to it, not streaming. <laughs> but, Nate, I'm going to lend you, just like you did back in the day, and I didn't watch it. You lent me your uh, uh, Shawshank Redemption. I'm going to lend you my my DVD of Spinal Tap. It's like the special edition. Because you got to watch Spinal Tap. Awesome. I'm going to hold on to it for three rock years stars, and not watch it. Rock stars talk about Spinal Tap as being like, I mean, really, like just the, the of going through it as a rock band trying to make it and having some some success and then not having success. Like, it's a legit movie. As much as it's a spoof, it, it really kind of takes you through the ringer of, uh, of what a rock band has to go through. So this is Spinal Tap. It's a classic. Please go watch it if you have not. And, Nate, I'll give you my We DVD. watch it. Any of you viewers? If you, if you want us to go watch it by purchasing it. Find DVD, it at your you know, I'm going to give you my DVD, <laughs> and you can put on whatever DVD player you have. And if you're out there and you whatever want to borrow DVD my DVD, just, like no one has a DVD. Hit like us up on the socials. Like I'll lend you my DVD, okay? There's, kids, there's people listening to this that don't know what DVD is. Brad's just going to start mailing the DVD <laughs> for four days everywhere. at a time. If it means that you'll watch Spinal Tap, I will do it. Watch Shawshank's deflecting again. Hey, I'm gonna make you watch. Can I just? Can I better happen? Because that's I'm I'm saving it for the pod. That's you know this. Can I quickly say that I 
deeply identify with someone loaning you a movie and then giving it back to them three years later without watching it. <laughs> or just never giving it back to them. I have. Can we also just preview right now that what's going to happen is he's going to watch Shawshank and he's going to say, start out by saying something negative about it and I'm just going to knock him out. There might like, be a, just a fist We're, we're just going to fight. We might have to film that one. We'll have to live stream We'll, we'll go live stream on that because if Brad says anything negative you know, about it, it was great, time, but. <laughs> just, 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 oh, bang. <laughs> All right. Brad's not going to be with us the rest of the pod. What are we going to alternate end? Who's got all? Who, who's got some reshelves or alternate endings? We he, this is the part where we come up with uh, either a totally different genre that we replace that we put the movie in, or we uh, come up with a different ending that changes things. Hey, I've got a reshelf, and it's. Reshelf it. I'm not going to tell you what the genre is until I get to the end. Ooh. Okay. All right. So, movie's pretty much the same, but the plane actually has a horrific crash landing because of the storm. And it catches fire. It's a survival movie. William is okay, but he's... It's like, it's, it's hatchet. Hold your horses. Were we supposed to guess? <laughs> but, but he sees Russell as badly hurt and burning. He heroically rescues him, and everyone survives. But Russell's badly burned. He'll never be able to play music again. Oh, his looks are no longer a problem. <laughs> After returning home, his mom begins choking on a piece of fruit, and he saves her life. And then another crazy event happens to his sister. It puts her life in danger, but William rescues her, too. So he starts to realize that everyone he cares about would have died in tragic ways unless he saves them. So at first he gains some notoriety and, and, and fame for rescuing multiple people in just a couple of weeks. But then people start to stay away from him. Nobody wants to get close to him and be his friend for fear that they'll go through some tragic event as well. He tries to visit Penny Lane in Morocco, but even she wants him to stay away. He'll never be loved. And this, my friends, is the origin story of the supervillain now known as the enemy. Oh, that's <laughs> dope. It's M. Night Shyamalama Ding Dong meets we're Cameron going, Crow. We're going kind oh, of, we're, we're going into the comic universe. It's, he's it's, he's the enemy. He's this the is Unbreakable meets Almost Famous. There you go. Oh, I love it. The un, the, his superhero is embodies unrequited love. Yeah, I like it. The title, he, The Enemy. He's the, the enemy. The, yeah. Dude. Watch out for the enemy, man. He's, that's he's that's one of your off. best reshelves. Hey, I love that. I, I haven't done a reshelf in a while. What else you guys got? Okay, so we're going to take this movie off of the coming-of-age shelf, and we're going to walk it around the video store, and we're going to put it right back on the coming-of-age shelf. <laughs> <laughs> because what I want to do without changing the genre at all is we're going to go the entire intro, the stuff with his mom and sister, the actual part where he goes on tour with the band, two-minute montage. You see all the pictures, all the crazy stuff that happens. We come back. William's got to go back to school. He goes back to school. He's still two years younger than everybody else. Everybody still hates him. He's still a narc. No one believes any of his stories, right? Hilarity ensues. He's got dorky friends, kind of a coming of age, high school comedy. He's younger than everybody else. You know, funny stuff in the shower at gym class. He doesn't have pubes, blah, blah, blah. And then we're moving on to zany hijinks, blah, 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 blah. Where am I at? No one believes he traveled all summer. Then his article comes out at the end of this, at the end of the thing. Russell comes and sees him, says he's going to do it. Then his article comes out. He blows up. He goes, meets back up with Penny Lane, takes Penny Lane to like prom. (laughs) And everybody else is just out of their mind, thinks it's the awesomest shit in the world. He's the coolest kid in school. And, you know, it's like a straight up, like, you know, like early 2000s high school comedy. Exactly. I love it. And there was a movie called The New Guy that no one saw except me. I saw it too. Uh, I know you did. (laughs) 
And uh, I blind bought it. You blind bought that shit. <laughs> I might as well watch it. I own the DVD now. You were like DJ Qualls is in this. I think I'm gonna buy it. And that's pretty much that's pretty much the movie you described. Except this one would be cool. Yours would be cooler. Wouldn't that be so cool so if he, cool. all of a sudden his article comes out, everybody believes him, and he brings Penny Lane to prom, and then he's the coolest kid in school. Yeah. Maybe Russell comes and does a solo at the school just to prove to everybody that he's real. I just think that's the awesomest movie ever. That's I got movie. a uh, I got a rewrite. You got a rewrite. You got an alternate. What do you got? Uh, it's not a uh, not a reshelf. It's a rewrite. Okay, so same movie, but what throughout the movie, what they do is yeah, Frances McDormand's character first appeared like she had something against her daughter's like choice of music, but what they start to show is Frances McDormand quietly is just a movie i mean a, a music buff like she listens oh. to all of the good she just shit. thinks simon and garfunkel the, suck no she's just doing that because she has <laughs> something an with her older daughter yeah. and oh, like right, she obviously right, right. likes you know gets what william's trying to do and so what it does is it's showing um lester bangs. lester bangs is, it shows lester bangs's character and it continues to show him a little bit more throughout the movie but it also makes sure that it's showing francis mcdormand's love and knowledge of music as well and the age works out to where they give you a little glimpse that at some point Francis McDormand toured and crossed paths with Francis with with Lester Bangs at a younger age. And what happens is that the very last scene, it's not Russell Brand that shows up at the house to see William. It's Phil. It's it's, it's Lester Bangs, Hoffman. and that's his dad. And Lester oh, Bangs, Lester Bangs is William's dad. Oh, I love or that. Or it ends wow. with Lester Bangs writing a memoir. And like an in-between thing, kind of confessing that he is William Miller's. It's a letter to William He's in dead. Cream magazine. And there's and like a scene. Bangs. There's like a scene where they're having sex, and then the the camera pulls up, and she's like, "You really can bang." And then it just like fades out. White light, white light, white heat. Amen. Amen. That's my. That's uh, my. Well, uh, you know, that's uh, on that. On that note, let's uh, take a quick break, and then we're going to bring you back to talk with Lacey Johnson. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. California has the largest population in the United States and the site of some of the most famous true crime cases in history. But there's more than meets the eye to the crime in California. Join Sean, Jessica, and Charles on the California True Crime Podcast as they cover crime both infamous and overlooked from around our state, while looking at the deeper history that goes beyond beaches and movie stars. What's up? We're back. Lacey Johnson's with us. What's up, Lacey? Hey, how's it going? Hey, Lacey. All right. So uh, let me let me give uh, a little background here about who Lacey Johnson is and why uh, you should why you should pay attention. So we all started on this show. Uh, the, the the four of the Bev's crew started in the middle of the pandemic, uh, and that was largely because we started listening to the rewatchables podcast and we liked it. We're all movie fans. And so 
we were kind of like mimicking. In fact, in the early days, we called our, you know, we called like the first few shows we, we, we made up was like the rewatchables poor man's edition or something. I don't remember. So anyway, so we, we, we were into the rewatchables. And so we started doing this fake pod that was entertaining ourselves. And at the same time, we started, uh, following the rewatchables on Facebook. And so we're, we're, we're sort of, you know, jumping on their Facebook page. They got a bunch of commenters and we became sort of interested in that. And so over the course of about a year, we, we slowly started noticing that, this uh, one woman named Lacey Johnson was a really regular uh, poster and lots of funny posts, lots of insightful f- posts about movies, um, and uh, also lots of sort of commentary that, that seemed to come from a very, like, solidly female and feminist perspective uh, in a really thoughtful and interesting way. And so um, because of that and because uh, we've come to find out that she just really appreciates a good dick joke, we decided that Lacey uh, was going to be a perfect fit for the show. So uh, we wanted to have her on. We want to talk about Almost Famous, but we also want to talk then a little bit about sort of a recent controversy uh, with uh, the Rewatchables Facebook page uh, and get her take on that and maybe some just more general issues on some perspectives that she brings to it. So let me start with this. Lacey, what would you think about Almost Famous? Well, I this was the first time I'd seen it all the way through. Um, oh, my God. The last, oh, wow. I know. <laughs> The last couple of times I tried to watch it, which were years ago, was my mom actually loves this movie like intensely. And I tried to watch it with her a couple of times. But every time I fell asleep, which is really unusual for me, I don't use that. I will stick through a movie, you know, middle of the night, whatever. But it just didn't do anything for me. Um, so I, I've, I've since since you asked me to do this, I've watched it twice and watching it the first or getting all the way through it the first time i i met, like i realized why people like this so much because it is a really it has a good really good pacing it keeps you engaged everybody's the music is fantastic the soundtrack so i really i understood the appreciation for it and then <clears throat> and then i did rewatch it a couple nights later and i started to I started to notice some holes that have kind of bothered me a little bit, but I still, I still walked away from, from it feeling like it's, it was worth my time for sure. All right. So favorite you know, part, what, what are your favorite parts? What, what, what do you like the best um, about it? I, Frances McDormand is phenomenal in this movie. She just jumps off the screen constantly. And obviously uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman is great too. And I really, I really wish he had been in the movie more. I didn't know that, that he may have had a bigger role, but it wasn't, you know, couldn't, couldn't do it from being sick or whatever. Um, the tiny dancer scene on the bus. Yeah. We were talking earlier about how, like have, you, have you, have you ever been on a road trip where people sang in the car? Actually, when I was in Peace Corps in Ukraine, we were like, you would travel together through training like 44 people would travel travel together or I can't remember how many people were in my group, but somebody brought, brought a guitar and um, we all ended up singing a Lumineers song. Um, hey ho. Oh yeah. Good on one. the bus. Wait a minute. Yeah, Lacey. it was Lacey. There was 44 yeah. members of the Peace Corps. I'm assuming <laughs> half of them were men and they didn't, there weren't 22 of them with acoustic guitars. Cause I have to assume <laughs> if you're joining the Peace Corps and you do not have an acoustic guitar strapped to your back. I don't even think that I didn't know they let you <laughs> in they won't. if you're a dude without an acoustic guitar and you go to Peace Corps. I don't think they do. That's funny. Yeah. No, there wasn't actually. <laughs> That's insane. But yeah, so that was really, so the, 
It reminded me of that a lot, that moment on the bus and how it, everybody knew the song at the, in that moment too, because I think it was like 2013. So what, tell me about the holes. So what don't you like or what do you wish, you know, Crow might have done differently? Well, another thing that really was my favorite part that kind of makes this whole movie work is when Penny Lane sends Russell to uh, William. Yes. Because yeah. if she doesn't, I would have been so mad. <laughs> if, if she would if he would have gone to her back. house. Yeah. Yeah. It would have been really disappointing. So I really, really like that about it. It feels like a twist, you know? Um the, the stuff that starts to fall apart for me, well, <laughs> unpopular opinion, I do not like Stillwater music at all. <laughs> I think it's like, really... <laughs> <laughs> I just don't like it. Not your jam. <laughs> I like that era of rock and roll. I just think it's so generic sounding. You mean the, the Stillwater I, itself? Yes, the band itself. It, all, the, think... all the other music in the, in the movie is phenomenal. You know? You know, they I know were trying talks of Stillwater quite a bit. But <laughs> wasn't my thing. All right. So you hated the band, and you love Jason Lee. <laughs> yeah. This is from someone that loves Jason Lee, I believe. I I do, and I found the band conflict to be a bit silly because Jason <laughs> Lee is an objectively attractive person. So this conflict, this manufactured conflict between the two of them, really your looks have become a problem. Attractive. It's so well, silly. It's, it's it's revealed it's revealed later in the movie that the tension all stems from the fact that he may have been uh, been with Russell's wife the entire oh, time. Oh yeah, yeah. Right, right, right. That'll throw some tension. Dude, the, the shirt he wears at the end where it says it, he has Russell's face. No, it's his picture. It's Jason Lee's face with Jason Lee's name underneath it. No, no, no. It says it says BB like uh, Jeff BB. But then it has it has Russell's picture. I thought it was Jason Lee's no, picture. Jason, I'm almost positive. I'm pretty sure it's Russell's I'm picture. I'm pretty positive Ooh. it's Jason Lee's. That's why he's such a douche. Because he's wearing, <laughs> he's wearing a shirt with shirt. his own face I on. I thought he was like making fun of Russell by putting Russell's face on Ultimate Jeff Beebe's band If shirt. that's what it is, it's actually super clever. But I don't think that's what it is. <laughs> oh, I think yeah. you're giving okay. it too much credit. Because yeah, yeah, they were the Jeff Beebe band before they were still. I thought it was right. Jeff Beebe band, but with Russell's face, which was like ironically silly. No, I think he just loves that Jeff Beebe band shirt. Yeah. That's okay. awesome. All right. So, okay. So, so, so <laughs> you, you, you don't like the band. What else? Oh, um, I um, immediately, my immediate thought was how old are these groupies or how old are they? Yeah. Band she that's, says she's 16 at one point, but I don't think, yeah, I think she's lying. I think she's older than that. You think she's lying? Why? I do think she's lying. I think how she's older think than she that. Is? I don't know, but I mean, you think she's over 18? I feel like the 70s, like, there's just kind of, it, maybe it's a little bit dip, different atmosphere. I mean, they're all checking out the high school girls as they're driving by that one that one scene. And Yeah. I think she's she's definitely an unreliable narrator throughout the movie. So I don't I don't know if we take her saying that she's 18, then 17, then 16. So, I, so I've definitely all, never never been sure how old she is. 16, because he says, fit. she keeps saying that, me too, how old are me, we too really? me too, me too. And then he finishes it by saying 15, and she doesn't respond. They got into 16. Yeah. I think she's 16. Okay, she's 16. So you don't like Which it. Which would have made her 15 if she had been right. with the, Russell. The, the right, she's before. been doing her yeah. thing for, like, right. quite a while. Yeah, it's right. not like she's, yeah. like, brand new to the game. Yeah. So that, that you know, I yeah. know it's a different era, but it was probably somewhat 
an issue then too. <laughs> you mean you know what statutory I mean? rape? Yeah, that's probably. <laughs> I can't. I can't. I can't wait to hear people saying that you're wrong on that. <laughs> yeah. No, take, take be that like Lacey time. said it. It's wrong. <laughs> statutory um, rape's fine. Chalk <laughs> moon are fun. <laughs> the um, um the Virgin the deflowering oh, yeah, scene like was super rapey. Like he says no how many times. He just he throws a lot of no's in there. A lot. And I just it was really Oh so so I me. didn't so so when you mentioned this off off air before, I thought your problem yeah. with that scene was that it was like just sort of a stupid male fantasy of like I'm gonna lose the dude well, loses his virginity to three chicks at the same time. Well, the male fantasy element, or like the, what we also talked about before, is like how cool Cameron Crowe was as a 15 year old. Like he gets rewarded for not being like the other guys. Like he's not sexualizing the women, but then right. he gets rewarded by getting laid. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> they, so, they sexualize him. So, so when I wa- I I, I yeah. was watching the movie with this in mind when because you sort of said you you told me raise that sort of issue, and so I was kind of like watching for it, and I had the reaction that. I was kind of like, well, yeah, I mean, it, it, it definitely fits the the idea of the fantasy that, you know, the would, you know Cameron Crowe kind of makes this up and it's maybe not real and it sort of seems like this sort of, you know, contrived thing. But on the other hand, it's fucking crazy out there, right? Like, sure. partly I'm like, yeah. do, do, I, do I think that any of that shit ever happened? You know, yeah. Oh, like, I'm sure it, you know, it and these, probably and, and, did, and, yeah. and these, There's a lot of, like, situations like that. So I kind of want, I'm not saying this happened with Cameron Crowe, but I was kind of like, I, I, that one wasn't as hard for me to, like, I didn't need as much of a suspension of disbelief for that one as I did other parts of it. Right. Um, I also would say that. Yeah, that's fair. While it is the male, I mean, I guess it's like the, you would say it was typical male fantasy. He, he doesn't seem very like, he doesn't seem like his fantasy is coming true at that moment. <laughs> He's getting you know? a little overwhelmed. Exactly. Yeah. Well, it, and then that's the other layer yeah. we, 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 of him but not it, really wanting it. If we want to jump forward, though, a little bit to his fantasy, I mean, one of the most awkward scenes, of course, is the fact that he kisses her. While she's, while she's legit passed out yeah and, no, and he's like i'm going for it and so when I, I what i was saying to the guys earlier is like you know i, I kind of watched this movie a little th- more through the eyes of penny lane this time and i think that scene was less comfortable for me because of it like i i yeah i was a little bit more yeah. like oh you know that's 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 like less cool yeah than like when you look at it from william's standpoint he like takes his shot even though it's like a you know kind of a not not responsive shot yeah. i mean i'd say th- i'd say there's a difference between him and like some fucking asshole frat boy that's like taking advantage of some girl that's yeah. passed out like at a, in a fraternity. There's there's a world of difference there, but at the same time, it's still problematic. I mean, it's still yeah. you're, you're taking advantage of somebody who cannot. Well, it also, I mean, it, it also besides that part of it, like it's kind of sad, right? Like it's definitely from, sad. from the standpoint of like William, right? Like it, you know, this is what you have to resort to, like for this woman that you ostensibly are totally you know fallen for, and you know you can't think that this is. You know, you can't feel fulfilled in any way by that, right? So, like, part of me wants to say that since you know his intention and you know that he's not a bad person throughout getting to know him throughout the movie, that it's okay. But I guess that's kind of shitty too. I I don't know. I I never really had a problem with it. I always thought it was kind of a funny scene. Uh, I I think I think it's hilarious that he's he's in love with her in in her worst in her worst moment. He's just completely smitten with her, and uh, I just uh, there's kind of the juxtaposition there of him being in love with her and they're showing. 
you know, they're shoving the thing down her throat and she's just having her worst moment. I don't know. And I think she also, she also feels somewhat connected to him because he was there for her in that moment. Right. Right. But I guess she doesn't know about the kiss that he stole. <laughs> yeah. Hard, hard to say. Cause they're walking in the park after. So, so this is a good transition to ask what I want to ask the next question. And, and this is something that, you know, we're a bunch of dudes and we can't escape being a bunch of dudes. Right. So one of the things that that it means, no matter how much we want to sort of have a better perspective is that like, we can't see movies through the eyes of the experience of being a woman. Um, and so one of the things I was curious about is like, you know, when you, when you sort of think of your experience watching this movie as a woman and, and, and from a woman's perspective, and especially as somebody, you know, who, who, you know, often comes at things as explicitly from a feminist lens, so what do you see, what does a woman see watching this movie that we might not, and what do you think a feminist sees watching this movie that is a perspective that, that we might miss or that, that other people might miss? I would, one thing that stuck out to me was when when we first are introduced to Penny Lane and she says that they're not groupies, that they're band-aids, and they don't have intercourse with the band, and they're more like muses, or they're there for the music, right? And then the rest of the movie does not support that narrative at all right because we see her like dancing around naked we see her with russell we see the other groupies with other band members and then also just from my own personal experience this is sort of a, an, a side anecdote when i was 16 i went to go see corn by myself at, at the target center in minneapolis Ooh. and yeah why did, how did your mom I, um, feel about and, that <laughs> did she did anybody yell at you don't off. take she drugs dropped you off? oh my gosh yeah, yeah, my mom dropped me off at the uh, at the um, at Target Center and then came to pick me up afterwards. So, but so my mom was, or most of my life, my mom was an exotic dancer. So she knew one of the girls that John, the lead singer of Corn, had while he was like in town. You know, you'd have girls around the country. Uh, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um. She, uh, her friend knew that I had gotten a ticket to go see the show and it offered to get me a backstage pass. My mom would not let me do it. <laughs> <laughs> so you're uh, not, become, you're not going to be a band-aid. I don't care. Your mom was slightly jobs. concerned. She, huh? she had heard some pretty yeah, I imagine uh, corn explicit stories. Pretty... Yeah, yeah. yeah. And didn't want me to go through that or experience that. So. Well, good job, mom. Um, yeah. At the time, were you hella pissed? Were you like just like this is? No, no. I okay. I was a pretty reserved kid, so I I wasn't mad about it. Um, I just was excited to go to see, go to corn. <laughs> so. They're um, pretty. They're they're pretty awesome live. Some Ozfest like. Yeah. Are you ready? <laughs> <laughs> the basis exactly. Little, oh, it's good stuff. So, I, uh, the idea that the women could be band-aids and travel with a band without sleeping with them. I know it just seems so unlikely, especially in that time period. And I don't think it would even fly now. For you sure. A I'm story saying? that you tell a 15 year old boy that you just met though, that you're like, Oh no, we don't, we don't, we don't, we don't sleep. Oh with them. yeah. You know Which what I mean? I think it's just feeding in. I think it feeds into her own mythology and how she wants to be, 100%. but that's just not the reality of the situa- situation. But at the so. end of the day, it kind of makes her stand out, and like you can tell, everyone sees her different, even oh. the other like band aids, and it's like yes. she sets herself apart just from how she carries herself, even if she ends up maybe falling for Russell and like you know appearing that way. But it's it she definitely stands apart. Yeah, and, and there's yes. a na- and actually she- that. Go ahead, Lizzie. 
Oh, go ahead. No, no, I, I had nothing that was more interesting than what you were going to say. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, so does this Band-Aid element really play into the narrative of the movie? A little bit in terms of her sleeping with Russell maybe tells the audience that she takes that more seriously. She actually has feelings for him. But is it also doing other work? Like when you are first introduced to her, if you're, if she's distancing herself from being, quote, a groupie and slutty, is it does it make her more endearing to both William and the audience? That's a good question. And I guess, I, oh, sorry. I was just going to say, I think because they don't show her having a relationship with anyone else in the movie, mm-hmm. I would say yes. But I think yeah. the minute that they show her like hooking up with Jeff Beebe or whatever his name is, then then you're like, okay, you know? Yeah, which is all kinds of sexist, right? Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, that's just how that's the that's perspective that's from the male perspective. But that's looking at through like this feminist lens and seeing what where possible slut shaming comes into play. And I didn't even think about it. As, it. I didn't even think about it as sexist until you said it just now. So, yes, I see how the different lens you could see it. Differently. What, what, what's yeah. wrong with being sexist? <laughs> <laughs> that's a spinal tap reference, Nate. All right. Last 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 question. We've, we've, yeah. we've in our thread in the in the in the run up. We've had a lot of conversations about big dick energy or as Lacey likes to refer to it simply by its BDE acronym. Anybody in the movie have obvious big big dick energy? I think Penny Lane. Um, <laughs> Penny Lane's got the biggest dick in the whole movie for sure. She tells everybody what's up. Definitely feel yeah. for it somewhere, Hoffman. We learned though that this is a neg- usually it's a negative, except in the case of uh, of J.K. Simmons, who who has his big giant vegan dick energy that she admires <laughs> from Whiplash. Keto, right. keto, keto, keto. Oh, keto. super veiny. Yeah. Yeah. Zach described it to a T. Vascular. <laughs> Go check out the uh, Whiplash podcast, y'all. All right, so I want to talk before we get off, um, and this is sort of like a developing story. So, so uh, you know that when when, I, when we first talked about talking about this, uh, there there are even new things. But so the rewatchables controversy. So uh, Lacey sort of you know in, in about the time a few weeks ago we decided, hey, you know, like we, we really want to see if Lacey wants to come on, and we're corresponding, and all of a sudden she sends me this message late, you know, one night uh, in the midst of this, and says, I just got kicked off the rewatchables page. And I was like, what? And she's like, yeah, I don't. She had this bingo card that was like, you know, describing all the ways in which, you know, her her commentary is dismissed when she was critical of the of, of Simmons and the Rochables. And uh, apparently the bingo card was just, one, uh, you know, a bridge too far. So she says this. So then I post immediately on the page. I say, Lacey just got kicked off the page. I didn't even use her last name. And I said nothing else. And I got 300 comments, and it's our most successful post. <laughs> our on most, Facebook yeah, definitely today. our most successful. <laughs> it was just a just a killer, yeah. Like, yeah. So, and so, just a, just a, a full spectrum of people who are like, "Oh man, that's bullshit." To, yeah, man, I don't know why she's even on here. This the, is bullshit. I love the guys that, that are like, "Who's that? Who's la- yeah. who's racist?" <laughs> Um, so, so there was, so there's this huge range and it actually stemmed back, I think a little more to her, a, a little dust up she got in over her criticism, both of super bad, the movie and of the coverage, the pod, the rewatchables pod on super bad. So I, I was sort of curious to get your, I mean, like, you know, what's your take on, on the controversy, right? Like, like, like what, what was your take on getting booted? I, it feels to me like my posts were posts and maybe even comments. I don't know 
were just getting reported for trolling over and over and over again. And, and, and by trolling, you mean like me, saying things that were were like straightforwardly and level-headedly a feminist take on things. I mean, that, that, yeah, that that's I mean, what in fact well, it was. I think the thought yes, was that I'm, there's no way you could have actually thought those things. You were obviously <laughs> trying to incite a riot with the things that you were saying. There's no way a sane person could have thought of those things, which is pretty insane if you think about it. We should have women on the rewatchables. <laughs> kind of bullshit is that? You, the whole country's going to burn. <laughs> Something like that. Yes. Yeah, and I, there's no transparency about how rules are applied and like reporting comments in the past for me that that were personal attacks or would say like personal attacks to me specifically just for having a commenting on somebody else's post like somebody would say it call me a name or use derogatory words towards me and I would report those comments and report the person and nothing was ever done those comments were never removed the members were never and it was often the same people over and over again. So I just ended up blocking people. And that was kind of my way of dealing with that group. Otherwise, I would just be constantly attacked there. I mean, not constantly, but, you know, there was just a lot of... It's usually the same, like, half a dozen people. Well, yeah, so, and so I, I was just going to say that the admins on Rewatchables seem like they just very very hands off and so then they said okay now we're going to bring in actual people who post on rewatchables become the admins right has that has that been an effect already are they actually the ones who decided to to get rid of you or is it the old admins? no no this was this was before that uh, the transition i think is happening this week because okay. uh, i know a couple of, i talked to a couple of people who took those positions and um, I don't know if they're officially, if it's all been like handed over at this point or. Do you think it'll be better? That, it was before. Um, well, somebody I know said they would add me back to the group. So <laughs> but you haven't been added back yet. I thought, you were back. I thought you were back. No, you no, I'm not back, back yet. Mm-mm. What's a feminist? Like, like I, you know, I, I, I want to go deep on this. I, 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 I want to, but I want to ask because, like, you know, this is like you know, I'm not saying this is Lacey's only only per- perspective, but this is the perspective that she brings a lot. I think she would she would acknowledge. Right. And so, like, I guess I'm I'm always curious about sort of like how do you define it? What do you think of this this means? And then what do you think it means in the context of like commenting on a on a movie page, right? I mean, what, sure. Well, I would say in the most general sense, it, it's an advocacy advocacy for men and women to be or not just men and women but in the most general sense uh, for all genders to be treated and and treated equally and have equal rights but i don't necessarily feel comfortable having a a, ascribing that definition to everybody because it feels i'm more of like an intersectional feminist where you're taking into consideration race religion sexuality disabilities and class appearances all those kinds of things, which can inform discrimination and it can inform privilege. So all those things are kind of playing a role in my perspective. So I want to take into consideration all those things because women of color are going to have a very different experience than mine, right? So why does it why does it matter? Like you know why why is it important to have that perspective 
put on a page where we're talking about movies um, and talking about different elements of the movie industry and, and things like that. Yeah. I Well, for me, movies are, there's a built in politicalness to film and it's always been, it's always been the case because in terms of representation, it, there's been a lot of gatekeeping, keeping people of color out of being in movies, being a part of the process, keeping women out of the process. And it's still very women or difficult for women to break through um, to making movies. Like how many directors have won or even been nominated for an Oscar at this point. And we were, we were so, just talking earlier in the podcast of how, I mean, there's a lot of kids now getting to be in movies that their, their parents were famous. I mean, even of course we have to talk about Penny Lane. Right. I she, mean, she's, she's the Kate daughter, Hudson, of a... daughter of Goldie Hawn and I yeah. mean, her, her stepdad's well, step. I'm, I'm not sure what you Kurt Russell, call right? Kurt Russell. Yeah. I mean, he's been like based kind of a father figure to her for, for a lot of her life. And it's just like, I mean, not that she's a bad actress, but I mean, she obviously had some doors that were open to her very. Oh easily. yeah, for sure. And uh, this, the issue of class and privilege plays into that. And a lot of musicians and famous actors do come from not just necessarily artistic families, but just wealth in general. So it gives them access to money, to materials, to have a place to like land if they're not successful. So all that stuff plays into the movie industry and just almost any entertainment industry. So it is significant and it is a mirror Film and TV can be a mirror or is a mirror to me um, of where we're at as a culture. I'm speaking very American centric right now. So, so, so I guess what I found interesting, and, and we're getting close to time here, but but yep. what I found interesting, I guess, was that there was a lot of conversation that seemed to really aggravate people because the conversation was being had as much as because of what was being said. Um, and so this was sort of what I found, you know, I guess problematic. You know, I, I, I never, I, you know, I, I didn't agree with every single take you, you had, but I never thought that any of your takes were anything but sort of straight ahead and, and like, like genuine in that, like, there was no attempt to kind of, like, like you said, there was no attempt to troll, right? It was a, it was a genuine mm-hmm. one side of the conversation. And so it seems to me, right, that like any place where we can have a, a forum for serious conversation about things that, that, that are relevant you know, nobody has to participate, but it seems like something that can only be helpful. Um, although, you know, I suppose there are people that will disagree. Maybe that maybe we'll get some hate mail about that. That'd be great. We, we won't <laughs> get any email now, so hate mail is welcome. No, no such thing as bad publicity. <laughs> all right. So so that's about all we've got. But, Lacey, sure. it's awesome having you on. And uh, if you're willing, we, we definitely want to have you. you back. Thank you, Lacey. All, yeah, yeah. All of us it, would here... be, it would be fun. Oh, I was just going to say it would be fun to uh, do a, a movie draft or even like do a full episode because I, the format, you guys are killing it. Maybe we can just have like, maybe we can just pick a movie and then we can just like mansplain the whole thing to you. And That's perfect. <laughs> just have you on do that. That'd be cool. I just. No, um, you see, it was okay, Lacey, because Penny Lane felt like she was older than 16. So. <laughs> All right, Lacey, Lacey Johnson, ladies and gentlemen, thanks for coming on, and uh, we will see you again, no doubt, in the future. Cheers. Cheers, Lacey. Uh, and Cheers. so that's the, the, that thus concludes our part one. Uh, check us out in a couple days because we have the best fictional musical acts draft uh, coming with Flying Blind as our judge, and I'm probably going to win again, but I'll give them a shot. Thanks, Lacey. Thanks, Lacey. See you guys. Mm-hmm.